Please stand as you are able for today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verse 8 through 16. When Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the sun was set. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a reminder in a book and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, A hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, grace and peace to each of you. It is so good to be in worship uh, in person with you and also online with many of you who are joining us on the back end of fall break, uh, wherever you are today. It is a great joy to be with you in worship. Uh, Casey, thank you so much uh, for leading us and sharing for reading. And uh, James, it's going to take me a minute to get over what you just did. That was just a marvelous uh, affirmation of faith. I do wish you could learn to project a little bit better, but other than that, uh, I'm, we're so <laughs> we're so grateful to you. Uh, I noticed at the 8:30 service, and I see it again in this service. There seems to be a lot of orange in the room for some reason. Uh, that was, uh, I think, God parted the waters in Knoxville last night. That that was an amazing. I saw the last minute of the game, and that's the one that counts. Uh, my team, Vanderbilt, won the coin toss uh, and had 11 first downs. So that was, uh, that was also a, a memorable thing as well. It's wonderful to be with you. Um, it's hard to believe we're on October the 16th. We're two Sundays from All Saints Day. And that's going to be a special day when we come together to remember the saints who have gone before us, and we look forward to that. We had a service yesterday for Joanne King, uh, who was two days away from 91 when she passed away. Uh, she helped us establish this uh, music library downstairs, and we had much to celebrate yesterday. And then in the evening, had a wedding for Andrew and Alexis Hughes. And so there was great joy, there was tears, and all of that in between. And to be with you today means a great deal. If you're visiting with us today, let me tell you where we are. We're in the 10th week of an 11-week series called Deliverance, and we're studying together the book of Exodus. Uh, we're coming to the last message next week, which is Exodus 18. And you might be thinking, well, Exodus has many, many more chapters than that. Why are we concluding? And I want you to know that we're going to do a sequel to Exodus on the back half 
in January and February of 2023. We're going to explore the Ten Commandments together, the law, the Decalogue, and we will begin that series on Sunday, January the 1st. New Year's Day is Sunday in 2023. On the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. I think it's a fitting way to begin the new year. To the text. Exodus 17 is a part of a section in the book of names, the book of Shemot, which is a transitional period in the life of Israel. In this liminal space that we talked about last week, which we think of as the wilderness season, the Hebrew children are now moving from a situation where the leader, by God's help, does everything for them to a point where the leader now empowers them to do for themselves. In their escape from Egypt, according to chapter 14 of Exodus, Moses, you remember, says to the people, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will accomplish today, for the Lord will fight for you, and you need only to keep still. But in chapter 17, verse 9, Moses says to Joshua, who would eventually succeed Moses as the leader of the people, I want you to choose men for us now and prepare for a battle against Amalek. So what's happening here is God is now empowering God's people to engage in the struggle. He's not saying, watch and see what I do for you. He's saying, watch what I can do through you. It's a transition. Not only is there a transition in the wilderness, but in the role of leadership which is now shifting in Moses. Moses is now going from being the deliverer to the intercessor. And you see this at Rephidim in the posture of Moses with raised hands. As Joshua readies the troops for battle on the battlefield, what does Moses do? Moses climbs the hillside overlooking the theater where the battle will occur in order to intercede for his people. Listen again to Exodus 17, verse 11. Now, whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that Moses' hands were steady until sunset. I love that line. There was nothing magical about Moses' hands. There was nothing magical about Moses' staff. He was simply interceding for his people. This is prayer language. So unlike those of us who are Christians, when we pray, we fold our hands and bow down. Our Jewish forefathers and foremothers lift up their hands and look up and pray. This is intercession. And so now Moses, the deliverer, has become the intercessor. And for those on the battlefield, just the sight of their leader above the fray, pointing upward towards God, gives them the faith and the courage to endure the battle. There's a few things I want to point out about this text that that 
I think personally are worth noting. And the first thing is about the enemy, the Amalekites. Amalek was a direct descendant of Esau. You remember the twin brother of Jacob, and you remember the enmity, the the tension between those two brothers that followed in the generations to come. The Amalekites were known to be a very violent and abusive tribe of people. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 25 says, remember what Amalek did to you on your journey out of Egypt and how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and struck down all who, listen, lagged behind. The Amalekites were notorious in battle for attacking the enemy from behind. In other words, attacking the most vulnerable of their enemies, those who were elderly, those who were feeble, those who were frail, those who were weak and wounded. They would attack from the rear. For Samuel talks about their abusiveness in battle in chapter 15, when he says, remember Amalek in the past even murdered pregnant women. And so this tribe was believed by the Israelites to be the epitome of evil. The second thing I think is worth noting here is the text reveals that there are times when the mantle of spiritual leadership gets heavy, gets wearisome. It's fascinating to me that the text never says that Joshua's hands grew weary in fighting. It doesn't say that. It says that Moses' hands grew weary in leading and interceding. And when you look in the New Testament, you'll find that you have company even in Jesus. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is in Luke chapter 8. You remember where Jesus was ministering and witnessing and healing and Apparently, there was a woman who had an issue of blood. One translation says a hemorrhage for 12 years. The doctors had done all they could. There was nothing they could do. And she thought to herself, knowing that Jesus was passing by, if I can just get close enough to him to touch the hem of his garment, I believe he can heal me. And you remember she did. She cut through. She waded through all the congestion, all the traffic, and she touched the hem of his garment And she was healed. And when she touched him, Jesus said something very unusual. Uh, It says that Jesus felt the power go out. And he asked his disciples, who touched me? And they said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. The, The crowd is pressing all about you. But he said, no, somebody touched me. I felt the power go out. In the healing, in the mercy that he showed, he felt depleted in energy. In that touch... He took that woman's suffering upon himself. And that issue that she was struggling, it wasn't just a physical issue. It was a social and a spiritual problem. Her illness, her issue of blood, made her ritually unclean, which meant she was no longer able to participate in temple worship according to the law. And so by touching this woman, Jesus made himself unclean by taking her pain as his own. And that's heavy lifting, friends. That's heavy duty. It was for Moses. It was for Jesus. But fortunately, Moses on that hillside was not by himself. 
Aaron, his brother, and her, his perhaps brother-in-law, who may have married Miriam, were with him. And apparently they saw Moses fading in terms of energy. And they found a rock and placed him on it. And they positioned themselves on either side of Moses and lifted him up. In other words, they interceded for their intercessor. So that, listen to the scripture, his hands remained steady until sunset. And that's the third thing worth noting. That the faith business, discipleship, is never a solo hero leader kind of thing. It really does take a village. You can't do this by yourself. You need an Aaron, you need a her. In fact, everybody needs somebody to lift them up. I think that's what small groups do. I think that's what friends in faith for confirmants do. I think that's what prayer partners do. I think that's what Sunday school classes do. They keep us steady until nightfall. And the only thing better than receiving that kind of support is giving it to somebody else. On Sunday mornings at 6 a.m., I can count on three texts that I receive with the emoji of prayers and a reminder, we're lifting you up today. One is from my mother, who's a member, member of this church. You want to talk about accountability? Let your mother join the church where you preach. <laughs> the other is my son, who's 32 years of age and preaching even now in a church in Noonan, Georgia, every Sunday, 6 a.m., And the last is a dear friend who may be watching now who's a retired minister in North Georgia in a place called Gainesville. I can set my clock at 6 a.m. They're going to let me know they're lifting me up. It occurred to me the other day that if I spend as much time praying for our leaders as I do critiquing them, they would be better off. And so would I. That kind of support keeps me looking up, even when we're in the battle. And I think that's the point of the church. That's the reason for the community of faith, so that we can lift others up and help them to look up when they're down, by words, by deeds, but also by countenance, by our demeanor, by our body language, I love this text in Exodus 34, 29. You remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after having received the commandments, he didn't realize that his face was radiant because he had been in the presence of God. And when he came down to his people, they were absolutely awestruck by his face, by his countenance, because they knew that he had been with God by his body language. It's a similar thing in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4. You remember where Peter and John, disciples of Jesus, healed uh, the blind man at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were preaching Jesus in the temple, which they had been commanded not to do. And the temple authorities bring Jesus in for questioning. And Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated or ordinary men, they were amazed and they took note 
that these men had been with Jesus. It showed. It is evident when you have been with Jesus, and it's evident when we haven't. The Bloodmobile is here today. We're grateful for so many of you that will be sharing in this way this afternoon. I remember a few years ago, after worship, after our three services, I went to give blood. I have O negative, and so they like to see me coming in the Red Cross. 